morning, Marie. Oh, good morning. Good morning. I'm here with um Victoria. There we go. We got both of you together. All right. <laughs> On the line with us today, we have Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, the authors of The First Ladies. And it's a book about the relationship or the friendship between Eleanor Roosevelt, who is course known as uh probably the most prominent first lady i i guess we could talk about jackie uh, mm -hmm. uh kennedy and uh you know uh, michelle obama there's others but but certainly right at the top is eleanor roosevelt mm -hmm. and her friendship with mary mcleod bethune and let's start with that uh give us an idea for people listening to this who was mary mcleod bethune oh Oh, so who was Mary McLeod Bethune? Well, she was, well, thank you, first of all, for having us. We're excited to be here with you. But Mary McLeod Bethune was probably the most powerful uh, Black American in the country from like the 1920s to the 1940s. Um, she was an activist. She was an educator. Um she was a mom and a grandmother, which are very prominent roles in her life, very important to her. But she was a fighter for equality. Mm -hmm. And she believed, first of all, that education was a great equalizer. Um, so she wanted to make sure that, that Black American children had that opportunity. And she was just a fighter for equal rights. And she was going to do whatever she had to do to get there. You know, and... We we hear that, and I guess all these years later, and it and I know your book obviously sheds light on this because uh, the 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 powerful person that she must have been to mm -hmm. overcome, uh, you know the the entrenched racism of that era, and and certainly the, the era from whence she came. Uh, mm -hmm. Her her parents were were slaves, correct? Or, her parents and her siblings. And her siblings, okay. She was the, she was the 15th ch child of 17 children, the first one born free. Mm -hmm. So 14 of her siblings had been enslaved. Wow. So this is amazing. And what what? Uh, how did the two hook up? How did Mary and uh, Eleanor mm -hmm. uh, find each other? So Eleanor and Mary met actually um, long before Eleanor was First Lady of New York or First Lady of the United States. They met in 1928. Um, the, actually, our book opens with that scene, so I won't do too many spoilers. <laughs> but um, they meet at a luncheon that um, Eleanor and her mother-in-law, uh, Sarah uh, Delano Roosevelt, hosted for presidents of women's clubs. And um, when we, the book opens and when they meet, Eleanor is, is very different than the first lady, the powerful first lady she becomes. You know, she, these are her years sort of post FDR's affair, which, which really just felled her. And they're also um, during a time period when he's really focusing almost exclusively on recovery from polio. He, um, I, uh, the American public really didn't realize how paralyzed he was mm -hmm. and he was determined to walk again. And so that basically was um, a turning point in Eleanor's life. And she kind of took uh, FDR's betrayal and this, this retreat from public life as an opportunity to explore 
her own passions and interests. And she became very engaged in equality, civil rights for women, um, for uh, children, opportunities. Um, she started a uh, furniture making business mm -hmm. with a friend or with some friends. She um, became a co-owner of a progressive girls school and a teacher. So when these two women meet, um, they, they immediately click and connect. And um, Eleanor is very ripe for the influence that Mary has upon her. Mary's much more advanced in her own mm -hmm. kind of evolution as an activist and um, and as a force, really, mm -hmm. in the world. Probably had to be because, yeah. you know, just, just to, to rise to the point. One of the things that I, and, and Victoria or, or Marie, the one, could talk to this point. I noticed just reading just briefly online, and that's always dangerous. But um, yeah, but we, also we have to get our notes right. Um, <laughs> but there was it was said that there was some controversy with Mary McLeod Bethune's um, sort of within the black community because she, I guess, purport you know proposed or, or pushed for practical education versus higher ed or, you know, I'm not sure the differentiation there, but it sounded yeah. like she was talking about homemaking and get, you know, get, get things. Could you speak yeah. to that point a little bit? Yeah, she actually did both. That was really the fight between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. Okay. And Booker T. And so she, it wasn't that she was in Booker T.'s camp, which believed in vocational education. Right. Let's just, let's just get trained so that we could get jobs where W.E.B. Du Bois believed in a talented 10th and, and being college educated and um, going for the higher positions. Mary did both. When she first opened her school, she was very focused on, let's be practical about this. Where will we be able to, if I'm going to educate these young girls, where will they realistically be able to get jobs? That was her number one focus. And so at that point, it really was more of a vocational training. And then when she worked with FDR in the NYA, she was very focused on that. But at the same time, she was very focused on higher education. Um, she, working with FDR, she was able to get grants for over 4,000 um, students, I believe it was, to be college educated. And she was also part of the United Negro College Fund. So she really um, believed in both, but she started out practically. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Sure. Well, let's let's talk about you two, because, you know, we, we have an interesting uh, tandem here because and, and I think the publisher uh, makes a point of that, that, you know, fittingly, the the friendship between um, Mary and Eleanor, and and here you two are. This is not your first book. You guys wrote the Personal Librarian. It came out last year. Um, how did you two get together and do this tandem thing? <laughs> well, um, gosh, how long do you have? Because it's kind of a long story, but it started. Um, actually, uh, you know, I've written um several books um with a very specific mission. You know, I write <clears throat> specifically to unearth. Um, women, historical women who've kind of been lost in the folds of history, but women who have left us really important legacies. And, and that notion, that kind of idea has been with me for a long time since I was a, a 
middle school and through college. But I ended up, as many history majors do, being a, um, a lawyer. I was a commercial litigator in New York City for over a decade. But I knew it never fit. This sort of love of unearthing the past um, had been with me. And so I would escape to the cultural institutions in New York City. And um, and it was on a visit to the Morgan Library that I first came across Belle DaCosta Green. Um, Belle, of course, is the heroine of our last novel, uh, The Personal right. Librarian. She was the personal librarian to J.P. Morgan. He had his own private library in New York City, which um, held one of the world's best collections of rare and priceless manuscripts. And Belle became one of the most powerful people in the art world during the four decades she ran that institution and she brought it to, to become a public institution. Um, I first discovered her from a docent there. She really wasn't highlighted at the Morgan at that time. This was in the 1990s. And it even then wasn't for several years, maybe even a full decade later, Belle was kind of, you know, poking me. Are you going to take a turn to tell my story? Um, it was only then that we really learned that Belle was in fact passing. She was born with this incredible black, from a, this incredible black family. Her father was Richard T. Greener first black graduate of Harvard. Her mother came from this incredible free community of color in Washington, D.C., but she had to hide all that and pass as white in order to succeed in a very segregated society. And when I learned that, I knew um, that Belle deserved to have her story told by a black woman as well. Mm -hmm. um, she had spent so long hiding in the shadows, hiding that identity of hers, um, and she deserved to, to have it come out, come forth. And I also can't, I can't really know what it's like to be a black woman in our, in our society. I really don't. Um, and it was around that time that I read Victoria's wonderful novel, Stand Your Ground, which is a uh, award-winning look into a terrible racial problem in our country from the perspective of the women. Mm -hmm. And so through our agents, I reached out to her. So she sent me a proposal and it was three pages, so not very long. Um, and my agent didn't tell me anything about it. She just said, read this, an opportunity. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to do was to um, find out more about the person who had sent it to me, Marie Benedict. And so I Googled her and found out she wrote these wonderful stories of women who had been lost in history. I thought that was really good for her, but why was she reaching out to me? I'm a contemporary writer. Mm -hmm. And then I saw a picture of her and I wondered if she had ever seen a picture of me. <laughs> and no, because no one had told me what this was about. Um, and so when I spoke to my agent, she said, yes, she's looking for a black writer. I said, okay. And um, then I started reading a proposal, but it took me a little bit of time to get past the first page because the first page was about J.P. Morgan, and I just was not interested in him. I couldn't mm -hmm. find anything that I wanted to write about, about J.P. Morgan. And so I kept putting it off and, and not reading um, it until my agent kind of forced me to read it. And even on the second page, it got more interesting. It was about this woman, Belle de I was interested in her, but still didn't know what that had to do with me. And it wasn't until the very last paragraph on the third page that said, no one knew that Velda Costa Green was Black until she passed away, that I was like, we could have saved three pages in three months. That's all she had to say. Who wrote that? Who wrote that? No, I'm writing. No, I'm writing. It was nothing wrong with the writing at all. It was no, no. just 
but was, you buried the lead, okay? Yeah, she buried yeah. the lead. We always say that. Buried. She was yeah. she buried the lead. So, but at that point, I couldn't get on the phone with her fast enough, and the rest is history. Oh, it's great. Now, let me ask you this question because people want to know probably. Uh, and and Marie, you've written a lot of this, and and Victoria, you, you you've written twenty books. I mean, you more than that. So you both accomplished writers. What's the difference between historical fiction and okay history? You know, or it's both history. Or how do you define all this stuff? Well, um, you mean like a historical fiction versus a historical? Yeah, if novel. somebody said, "Oh, I I'd read it," or or you know, is that real? Or or you know, yeah, what, that's what's the, the game? We get asked. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot. Well, <laughs> let me break it down a little bit. Kind of, it, it's really, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's subjective, but we have our own approach. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then why, what our approach is and why we choose, mm-hmm. choose it. Um, right. it. First of all, yes, it is historical fiction, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but it is historical fiction that's very heavily grounded in the research that we do. Um, you know, we cast our net wide to look at uh, original source material, uh, anything really visiting sites, interviewing mm-hmm. people, anything we can to find out as much as we can about the woman upon whom our fictional character is based, right? But that that's not the extent of it, right? That's part of the story because she lives, the woman lives in a very specific historical setting. And right. so there's tons of research into the setting itself, the time period, the movements, any macro things like what's going on politically to micro things like what kind of wallpaper would they have in their homes, mm-hmm. right? Really anything. And all of that research is the structure upon the architectural structure upon which the story hangs. However, as in an architectural structure, there are shadowy corners, mm-hmm. right? Where you don't always have the details. And it's in those shadowy corners that we use the fiction, but it's fiction that's really a logical extrapolation yeah. from the facts or the facts as we find them. Um, and so th- that's kind of the, the nature of the historical fiction that we write. But why do we write it, right? Why do we choose? People ask us this a lot. How, why do we choose fiction over nonfiction? And there's a couple of reasons. First of all, women's stories, women's research, women's records, they were not considered worthy of keeping or telling until very recently. And so when you go back into the past to excavate, because really that's kind of what we are, archaeologists excavating these women, there often isn't the same amount of material that you might find for a similarly situated man. Right. Mm-hmm. So the record is a little scanter. Right. Um, and the other piece of it is that, you know, we have, this, you know, we recognize that we have our own lens that we're telling these stories. We're, we're looking for legacies. We're looking for modern day threads. And so in order to tell that fuller picture in keeping kind of with our theme, um, fiction allows us to go places that we wouldn't otherwise be able to go to tell a fuller story and hopefully reach a larger audience because there are a lot of people who will pick up a, a work of historical fiction, but they might not pick up right. a piece of historical nonfiction on a similar topic. Just, just as someone might watch a movie about yes, a historical not, era yes, versus right. reading. Pick up the book. Yeah. Yes. Right. Are they going to pick up the thousand page biography? Maybe not. <laughs> you know, they, might they look for the uh, edited version, you know, the, exactly. Uh, yeah. be, be down. And I want to, I just want to focus on one thing that Marie just said, 
even though it is fiction, the fiction is really built on the nonfiction. Mm-hmm. The fiction is really built on the facts. We we write the fictional part, extrapolating things, what we will assume and presume from all the facts that we've researched. That's great. And and we're talking with Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, the authors of the First Lady, First Ladies, plural. Um, and that's, she was, now Mary, Mary McLeod Bethune was known as uh, the First Lady of, was it, Str- the Struggle? What was, yes, the First Lady of the Struggle. And the struggle, define that for me. What we think, I think I know, but what would tell us what was the struggle? That she it was, was the struggle. She was she was born in the late eighteen hundreds, so you can imagine. And as I already mentioned, she was the uh, first person in her family, the first child in her family, born free. Uh, so she was raised during a time of segregation and Jim Crow, and so there was a fight. There was just a struggle to become equal Americans mm-hmm. in this country. And, you know, I, I think about the things that Mary had to live through, how she educated herself. And what I mean by that, she did go to school, but she was the one who told her parents when she was nine years old, I'm going to school. And her <laughs> father was like, we can't really afford to have you in school. We need you to work this farm. Right. So there were times when she walked the three miles to get to school and days when she couldn't. But even with all of that, she still became a college graduate, still opened exactly. up her own school um, and still became, as I said earlier, one of the most powerful Black Americans in the country. Yet when she went to the White House, when she went from her home in Florida to go meet with Eleanor or even FDR or any of the important um, people in the cabinet that she ended up working with, when she rode in the train to go from Florida to Washington, D.C., she had to be in the lesser car, in the colored car. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, so that would, had to be, she lived in both worlds and that had to be a struggle. But what was interesting is who gave her that name. Oh yeah. So we always knew that, um, that, that was her nickname, you know, that, that, what, that was one of her names as the, the first lady of the struggle, but we did. And that was of course, in some part, the Genesis for the title, because even today, Eleanor Roosevelt is referred mm-hmm. to as the first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt. Sure. And so we loved this idea of these two women really being first ladies. Um, but Victoria discovered when she was doing um, some deep research, I yeah. can't remember what it was. It's almost at near the end of the book. Towards the end, we'd already decided on the title um, that it was actually Eleanor who gave her the name, the first lady of the struggle. And that just, you know, it was that one was, of those moments. It was so like, appropriate. Oh, this is this so is it. perfect. So um, we just did some happy dances when, uh, when Victoria. Oh, that, that's a great story. And, you know, the, the fact that Mary had, had sort of gotten in with, with Eleanor and gotten, gotten able to, uh, you know, the, the power structure, if you will, the mm-hmm. FDR, it was a mixed bag, though, wasn't it? Because while you know he's they're working to uh, integrate the armed forces at the time. Of course, we're involved in a period of war in the forties, mm-hmm. a huge, huge World War Two. Um, yet I noticed that you know FDR was still the politician. You know yeah. he didn't he didn't oh. back the the uh, some of the legislation yeah. that would have you know helped in in that yeah. situation. 
And he didn't. And what he ended up backing was only because of Eleanor and Mary. Oh, 100%. He would have never moved on most of I can't. I, and it wasn't that it wasn't in his heart, yeah. but it wasn't in his head because he was a politician and he wanted to keep those Southern Democrats. He had a singular focus of the New Deal. Mm-hmm. He was just going to pass that. And without Eleanor and without Mary, I don't believe any mm-hmm. of that would have happened. No. That's that's uh that's and some even history. As, even as it stands, the anti-lynching bill didn't get passed till 2018. So I always like to say that because these women were working on that in the 1930s. Yes. And yeah. it took, you know, just endless decades. So, but that really in many ways, I mean, they had to make compromises along the way, but that was their biggest disappointment yeah. together is the, is the failure to get the Costigan Wagner bill passed. Um, but they had many, many, many successes yeah. together. The that's that's such an important thing. And I guess that comes back to your point, Marie, about writing historical fiction uh, to get more people involved, to get more people aware. And that brings us right to the present where we're fighting those battles as we speak. Isn't Uh, that amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing that it's the same situation. It's the same battles. And and one of the things I don't want to say the book was easy to write, but there was it was simple. There was some. Um, there was a simplicity to it because we're fighting the same right. battles today. We're having the same conversations. And it was great that Marie and I were able to work on this book together and have these conversations as friends That's right. and to see the world through the other's eyes and to put all of that into the book. Well, we, we thank you so much, Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray uh wish you the best with first ladies one last thing is there another book between you two coming i mean are you at liberty to say or what's going on yes she can't get rid of me (laughs) oh she can't get rid of me so um we are not allowed to disclose the topic yet but we do have a third one in the works what we can say is that as with our other books we will be exploring similar issues but in fresh ways you know we took a different approach with our first book as our second book and we will be doing the same with our third work of historical fiction that we're doing together but um we will definitely let you know when we can (laughs) well we'll be listening and and watching and waiting and wish you again the best the book again the first ladies thank you first ladies thank you so much thank you have a great day thanks you too